Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith in the New York City metropolitan area. Um, we're going to jump right in today uh, because we're, we have a great conversation, an important conversation, uh, with Dr. Jared Stout. Um, am I pronouncing that right, Dr. Stout. Yeah. Stout. Apologize for that. I'll just keep Guinness in my head. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Dr. Jared Stout and his new book, How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization. Now, most people don't want to hear that. They have, a lot of people think there's some sort of a uh, political solution to our uh, you know, our, our problems nowadays. Uh, and uh, there, even though those things may be important, ultimately, you know, we're not we're not going down. We're not looking in the right place. For what ails us but uh but dr stout is and that's why he's here at the front line with joe and joe and that book is available at tan books and as always we encourage you to buy all of the books that we promote at the front line with joe and joe from the publisher let's support our catholic publishers uh dr jared stout phd serves as the director of content for exodus 90 and as an instructor for the saint john viani seminary lay division he is an he is author of restoring humanity essays on the evangelization of a culture that's uh from divine providence press and the beer option from angelico press as well as editor of renewing catholic schools talk about an important topic uh how to regain regain a catholic vision in a secular age and that's from catholic education press he and his wife Anne have six children and he is a benedictine oblate dr jared stout welcome to the front line with joe and joe brother Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's our pleasure to have you. And like I said, Doc, I wasn't I wasn't over uh, overstating it. This is obviously a very important conversation and a very important book. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe, and uh, and we'll get started. Doc, uh, we always begin with a prayer to Our Lady in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Remember, O Most Gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Doc, as Joe said, this is a very important conversation, but I have to say this. I have to ask him, what is the beer option, Doc? I it, it's I, I have to ask the question. <laughs> yeah, so it, it basically looks at the renewal of culture through the lens of beer. Yeah, that's right, because I, I figure if we can get beer right, we can get anything right. I love it. The history of beer is bound up with faith. I mean, beer came out of ancient Mesopotamia. Beer is in the Bible. It's mistranslated as strong drink, but that's actually a barley-based drink. And Benedictine monks invented beer as we know it today. They were the first to put hops into beer. Uh, and so then I look at how we can use beer to evangelize, like through things like the algae on tap and, and other events like that. Well, I'll tell you what, the Belgians make, uh, the Belgian monks make the best beer in the world. I'll tell you, I, I, I agree. enjoy it. That's my, my wife always for Father's Day gets me a nice bottle of Belgian beer and I enjoy it. 
I did a pilgrimage to some of the brewing monasteries over there. Oh, wow. That's got to be great. <laughs> it was a very good time. Yeah. <laughs> good for you. Good for you. But we're here to talk about the Eucharist, how it could save society. So let's get right down to it. Um, how did our Catholic faith build Western civilization and allow it to reach the heights that it does today? I mean, clearly, um, one can argue uh, Western civilization in the last, say, I don't know, 100 years. I mean, the amenities that the average person has is unlike probably any in the history of man. You know, I mean, you think about it, what the average, say, American has access to uh, compared to history. And a lot of that has to do with our Catholic faith. Break it down for us. Yeah, you know, sometimes we do think about you know, those exterior elements of civilization, right? So yeah, we have a lot of comforts and prosperity and power, but civilization ultimately is an interior reality. What, what do we really believe? What are we willing to die for? And so people, you know, kind of challenge my premise and say, okay, yeah, that sounds nice. It's a great title, but can the Eucharist really save civilization? And say, well, our civilization is kind of crumbling around us right now because we've lost the inner core of what civilization is. There, there, there's really no kind of direction right now. Um, and so, yeah, civilization has been saved already by the Eucharist. You know, when the Roman Empire fell in the West, it was around the monasteries in particular that civilization was built up. I mean, we were just talking about the beer option, right? So wh where did that come from? Yeah, the monasteries, perfecting wine and agriculture, creating libraries and books and the first hospitals uh, in Europe. And so civilization literally grew up out of those spiritual centers, um, and the same can happen today. So yeah, we do look for political solutions. It's like we want to go right in there and kind of fix everything from the top, but the Eucharist will start building out from the center, not just of the civilization, but from within us, right? What, what's God's solution? It's us, you know, that we begin living differently. We help other people to live differently. Uh, and we really need to recover a different way of living that has the most important things first. And over time, yeah, that can make a big difference. And, and I mean, there's so much there. Dr. Jared Stout joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, how the Eucharist can save civilization. That's out from 10 books, and that's Dr. Uh, Stout's um, new book that he's written. But it, let me ask you this. How is it possible— now, the Catholic Church, or, or many Catholics out there, Catholic apologists, God bless them, okay? They don't let the atheists get away with their nonsense, and that's exactly what it is, is nonsense. You know, talk to our audience about how the Catholic Church, we need to make bold statements again. The Catholic Church built Western civilization on the ruins of the Roman Empire, unashamedly, unapologetically. And you could demonstrate that thousand-year period up until Luther's heresy— was perhaps one of the greatest or the greatest period in human history. I don't care if you want to talk about smartphones and cars and refrigerators. That doesn't make us great. That just means we have more stuff, like George Carlin said. We just have more stuff, okay? <laughs> in a thousand-year reign of Christendom, I don't know, Doc. Uh, let me throw this out there. I, if, if God had given me the choice, showed me human history and said, where do you want to live? I think I might want to live somewhere in that thousand years rather than where he did put me, which is born in 1967 in North New Jersey. Talk about that, Doc. 
as long as it's not the 14th century with the Black Death showing up. But other than that, yeah. <laughs> other than that, I agree with you. But that's a, but that's a natural thing. But yeah, yeah, all right. That's a natural courage. But you know, it's true. When you think of what are the great achievements of Western civilization, you think of like Chartres Cathedral, the Sistine Chapel, but even things like the university or science. I was doctor. I'm sorry to cut you off. Even. I was sorry to cut you off. I'm so happy you said that because that's really what I was thinking. Of. How about yeah. the how about the thing that the that the atheists use more than anything else, which is which is science. The Catholic Church invented the scientific method. Please, again, Doc, I'm sorry I cut you off. Yeah, yeah, like Bishop Grosstest, who was a bishop in England and a professor at Oxford, he literally is the first one who wrote down the steps to doing a scientific experiment. Um, and his student, uh, Roger Bacon, went and took that to the University of Paris. And here we are today, right? I think it's been misused, but you, know, you mentioned the whole revolution of Martin Luther. Part of what Martin Luther did, he said the church is invisible, Right. And God is saving me as an individual, just kind of interiorly. And so that is really where we see the beginning of secularism that, you know, here's my faith over here in the corner. And then you have the rest of the world. And we're going to run that just on, you know, on a material level. So politics and economics, those are all exterior things. But, you know, my faith, well, that's interior. It's personal. It's spiritual. And that is heresy, right? I mean, and this is part of recovering a Eucharistic civilization, is that we are sacramental, that it is the interior that vivifies everything else, that it gives it life. And that's what needs to happen, is that we start with the center, but then we allow it to take shape in our lives and start to, what, reshape education, reshape economics, reshape politics. And we're talking about centuries here, but that's all right. The church is patient. It took a long time to build civilization back up last time, and it's going to take a long time now, but we're a part of that. It's not like, okay, that's going to happen in a few hundred years, so I'm just going to go hide in a corner. No, we're part of that. Like, we have to do our job right now. I agree. And, 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 that's, and that's one of the reasons why Joe and I do what we do, and so many people out there, why you're writing books the way you are, and, and the, why you're here, how the Eucharist can save civilization. That's out from TAM Books. We're being joined by Dr. Jared Stout. Yeah, yeah, everybody doing their part. I don't know how it's going to end. I know how I'm going to end. Um, I'm going to be dead, all right? And God willing, I go to heaven, take my family and my friends with me, all right, and as many people as I can. Um, I know how that's going to end, but as far as what, what, you know, what we leave behind— yeah, I, I have a great, a, a tremendous amount of hope that if we do what God wants us to do, okay, um, then all will be well, as T.S. Eliot wrote. All will be well, and all things will be made well. Joe Resinello. I want to talk a little scripture. Christ says this very clearly, and I bring this up because I don't know if we take God at his word. I mean, a lot of stuff is said at the Mass, you know, if you're listening to the gospel. Challenging stuff. And this is like one of these statements, and I'm going to read it. If you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. Let me repeat that for people who are driving their car on the highway so you don't crash. I want to repeat it one more time. You have no life within you. That means outside of the sacrament, you're dead inside. That means if you're not a practicing Catholic, you were baptized and you're not in a state of grace, you are dead. You are of the walking dead. And I'll be honest with you. I, you know, I went to Catholic school. I, you know, grew up Catholic. I've always heard that statement. Um, I never really understood it until I was a father and a husband. I'll be honest, because that's hard. 
And the closer I am to the sacraments, the easier it is to do that job. And if I am not, and when I mean sacraments, I'm not talking about the bare minimum, just going to church on Sunday. I'm talking about daily mass because I need to do more. When I'm not going to adoration, my job is harder. When I'm doing those things, it's easier. My life is is invigorated with the grace of the sacrament. Talk about that reality because I'll be honest with you, Doc. People, I don't think Catholics think about that enough. We're too self-reliant on our own gifts and strengths and 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 all the rest of it that comes along with it. When in fact, that stuff, when the you-know-what hits the fan, melts away real fast. Talk about that because that's reality. Yeah, I, I think it's important that you said we're self-reliant because if you think of our civilization, what is it built upon right now? We have this great legacy, Christian legacy from the past, but it is self-reliance and, and even more so this kind of radical individual freedom. That's our religion right now in the United States, and that's what has to be overcome by the Eucharist. And so I do think that even for Catholics coming to Mass, you know, a good number of them do not even believe that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist. And a good number are not going to confession to remove all the obstacles in our lives to receiving the Lord's grace. And so the first step in rebuilding civilization is actually helping Catholics to really soak in the graces that are being given to us. Jesus offers everything that we need for our lives, as you were saying, right, Joe, it's hard to be a dad uh, and just do everything that we have to do without the grace of the Eucharist. We could say that about everything. That is the answer right there. Jesus wants to, to work through all of our problems with us by literally becoming one with us, communion. That's what it means, being one with us, to live in and through us and with us. But I think we really have to help Catholics to understand what they have. We're taking it for granted. And so we need to prepare to receive the Eucharist. Like, are we actually thinking like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to receive the Eucharist. What do I need to do to get ready? Okay, am I running into Mass? Am I coming late or am I showing up? Am I really making a choice to, to receive the Eucharist and those graces? Am I rushing out of there or am I staying to kind of let them sink in? Am I going to confession? Because if I'm receiving the Eucharist regularly, I got to go to confession regularly. Because otherwise, you know, there's all these things blocking the grace because I'm stuck in my sin. So I, I really think that the renewal of faith in the Eucharist, because we do have a crisis, right? Two-thirds of Catholics don't believe in the true presence, right? But it's not enough just to say, well, this is what we believe. We have to live it. We have to show people, you know, really what our faith is about. We have to be more reverent to the Lord's presence and to work harder to prepare ourselves to receive them, to live a Eucharistic life, going to adoration, having Eucharistic processions, you know, really making the Mass a big deal. It really does have to be the center. Dr. Jared Stout is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Rosanello. We're way in the breach how the Eucharist, the Eucharist can save civilization. That's out from Tan Books. And as always, we ask you to buy the book from the publisher. Doc, let me ask you a question. We just mentioned a little earlier, we had a thousand years of Christendom, all right? So let's say from the time of the fall of Rome to around the time of Martin Luther, all right, you had a strong civilization that did exactly what you said. I mean, not that it was perfect. We're human beings. We're not. We're not creating heaven on earth. I want to emphasize, and I think you would agree, Doc. We're not. We're not 
proposing that you can create heaven on earth, but you can make things like Joe was talking about individually, you know, like being a father and doing all these things. Well, we need the Eucharist for that to help us get through life. Well, we can have a great civilization, okay, um, that is not heaven on earth. It's got its problems. It always has problems, okay, but as best as we could get it, and it, we have to rely on the Eucharist. So my question is this. You had a 1,000 years of Christendom for, let's say, like I said, now in the last 1,500 years, I don't even know what you'd call it. There's so many names for it, all right? But is the decline, it, we'll put it like this. Is is there going to be a transformation of Western civilization or a final death? Will it transform into something else that can be great if they listen to you and listen to the church, all right, and get back to the basics of the sacraments? Or is it going to be an abrupt death and then we're going to have to rebuild again, uh, like after the fall of Rome? I, I wouldn't be surprised if it got worse before it got better, just to be really honest. But as I said before, you know, the work that we're doing now can be even a part of the rebuilding in the future. If you look at like St. Augustine's book, The City of God, in, in the, you know, early 400s, that was, you know, one of the key texts that gave the vision for the Christian culture that began to be formed 100 years later and throughout the whole next thousand years. So, yeah, I mean, when you look at where things are going right now, I mean, the family is unraveling. I mean, education is doing more harm than good, I think, for a lot of people uh, right now. Um, and, and we really, we don't even understand what it means to be a human being, let alone a, a Christian or perfecting our civilization. I mean, we are losing the foundation right now. So, yeah, there's, I think there's going to be pain, even just demographically. You know, it's popularly, a lot of people are still walking around thinking that the earth is overpopulated. But you hear people, Elon Musk kind of, you know, brought some attention to this recently, but even the United Nations has reports on this underpopulation. Yeah. We're going to have a demographic crisis. China is going to get hit the hardest because of their longstanding one-child policy, which they've now abandoned, but it's too late for them, right? They're going to collapse because they have no children. And we could be next. I mean, Europe will be second, but you know, we are going the direction of Europe. And this is connected to the Eucharist, because what is the Eucharist? It is somewhat marital. Christ offers his body to us. We are the bride, and we become one flesh with him. And you see this in Ephesians 5, where Paul is using this image where, you know, Jesus has surrendered his body for the church, the bride. Um, and so he wants to give us his flesh, but I think in a way that helps us to see our own lives as gifts that need to be given for other people. So what would be a big change in the church if we were more Eucharistic in a deep sense? Well, I think we would get married and have a family, right? Because that flows from the Eucharist. It, we're forming the domestic church, and we have communion with one another. I think also we, we would attend more to the poor, right? Because Jesus says, you know, if you did this to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. So he wants us to see him in his flesh in the Eucharist, and he wants us to see him in the poor. I mean, so this are, there's some of the ways in which the communion we have with Jesus in the Eucharist leads to a deeper communion with other people. It overcomes the individualism of our culture, um, and I think can help us turn around this demographic crisis that we're in right now. I, I think uh, the statistics, um, even on a, let's say, a more micro level, we had on, we spoke the other day with uh, the president of Ave Maria University, uh, Mark Middendorf, because they were hosting Kataline uh, Novak, the new president of Hungary. And he gave us some statistics and shows this, yes, it does occur over time. 
we might not be around to where we're, we're obviously we're not going to see the end of this. All right. We'll all be gone. But in 10 years, he, he rattled off some stats. You'd be very surprised, Dr. Jared Stout, um, about marriage, how many more, how marriages have gone up, how the fertility rate has gone up, how abortions have gone down by 40 percent just in the last 10 years in Hungary. That can happen. See, when people, some people, I can hear them again, God bless them. They might say, ah, it's going to take too long. Ah, it's too big a task. The secularism is all around us. No, it's not. Hungary's proving in the midst of the beast, as far as I'm concerned, the European Union, okay? Mm -hmm. They're making it happen. And why? Because they're bringing their country unapologetically back to Christian principles. And obviously, a lot of that is is a, 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 like doing what you said. Hopefully, it's because they're going back to church more. You know, mm-hmm. and if they're not, if they're if they're doing great without the Eucharist, imagine how much greater they would do, you know, if everybody was back to mass and everything else. Your comments, Doc. No, it's it's a good point. We're not stuck on one trajectory. And even if you look at the last hundred years, following the Great Depression in the 1930s, there actually was a decline in church attendance across denominations. There was a decline in families. And then what do you have? Well, in the 1950s, everything started, uh, you know, roaring again. You know, church attendance was at, you know, really a high level. Vocations in the Catholic Church were very high. And then, of course, that all then collapsed in the 1960s. But, I mean, there are these phases. And, yeah, I, I think that we can see a Eucharistic renewal already happening in the church in the United States when you go to, you know, really strong parishes. Two Sundays ago, I visited a new parish because I recently moved across the country from Colorado um, to South Carolina. And so I was at, at a new parish, and it was so full of large young families, and they were so intent um, on divine worship and the Eucharist that, I mean, I was I was moved to, to the core of my being. You know, tears came to my eyes. I'm like, wow. I mean, and, and I think that is the kind of renewal that we can see. But, you know, most of the time, once again, it's like we're yawning at mass, like, uh, you know, it's like I said, we're taking the gift for granted um, and we're not receiving even the power of the Eucharist to transform our lives. But, yeah, is it possible? Sure. You can even look around in the right places right now in the United States and see it. No, exactly. Um, and and obviously, it, it's it's very encouraging. I've seen the same thing. Joe has seen the same thing. And, you know, let's be clear. It's not only the TLM, okay, even though you do see a lot of um, large families there. There's Novus Order Power. I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. Novus Order Power is here. Same way you just described. Big, big, beautiful churches, okay, traditional-style churches with big families, okay, going to Mass on Sunday. It's a beautiful thing. And you're not yawning. Because because the masses are reverent, the homilies are on point. We're hearing what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. Like all these different things, and obviously the focus is when the priest says, "This is my body to be given up for you." And and you know, so yes, I, I and it's so encouraging to see Joe Rasinella. I just want to talk human nature. We talked about the fall of Rome, um, and now we could talk about say how the United States is declining. And I agree. I mean, it's it's very obvious. Let's be a truthful. Um, but doesn't that have a lot to do with human nature in terms of how we cling to God? Because you talked about the thousand years of, of Christendom where life kind of revolved around, say, the monasteries. But life was very – it wasn't safe. I mean it was a feudal system. You didn't have medicine. People were illiterate. So what did they do? They clung to God because that's all they had. You see, we have too much stuff here. It's a distraction. And when it's human nature, 
when you have a refrigerator full of food, you have money in the bank, you have a comfortable, comfortable life. Human nature many times leads you away from God. That's what has happened. It particularly if you have one kid and uh, two kids, and not everyone can have a big family. I'm not pointing fingers, trust me, because sometimes you can't have a child. But I just use that as an example of sharing. Money is tight. You learn things. The house is a school. Like when you grow up in those environments, God is a much more like in your face reality, as opposed to everyone has their own room, everyone has their own computer, everyone has their own TV, everyone has their own car. And I think that is what led people away. We'll use the example of America. I can't speak for after Rome. I wasn't there, but I could speak for America. I think that's what's happened. God is a word. I mean, I grew up Catholic. Joe grew up Catholic. I have tons of friends who went to Catholic school and some went to Catholic colleges. They're quote unquote good people, but they don't cling to the Eucharist like you're talking about because frankly, their life isn't structured that way. Talk about gaining that understanding in this environment because in many cases, I'll be truthful with you and I've traveled through the third world. In many cases, they're better off than we are in Mm -hmm. many cases because they cling to God. Life here is short. You know, like, you know, if you live in Haiti and you go to heaven and you grew up on Fifth Avenue in New York and you go to hell, well, you lose Fifth Avenue. Haiti wins. (laughs) Talk about that, the human nature aspect of it. Well, Mother Teresa said there's more than one kind of poverty, right? And that America, in the spiritual sense, is the poorest nation on earth. That's what should be a wake up call to us. Do we really have what we need to be happy? Happiness is not a feeling, right? It's the fulfillment of who we are. I, I would just point to my own life, right? You know, I, I grew up as a non practicing Catholic. My parents were divorced. I like to read a lot. That's why I'm a professor, right? So I was really searching, but not finding anything. And, and I really, even in middle school, right, started kind of despairing and starting to get into trouble. But I was kicked out of the public schools in seventh grade because I brought my Boy Scout knife to school, zero tolerance. And my mom went to all the other private schools first and only at the end went to the Catholic school. And they were the only school that'd be willing to give me another chance. And the the pastor there said to me, hey, will you come and serve mass at 615 in the morning? It was during the week on, on his anniversary of ordination. And I wasn't going to mass on Sunday, but I'm like, yeah, I'll be there, you know, just because I was so grateful that he took me in. And so there, early in the morning, in the dark, you know, it's just, it's ingrained in my memory, right? I just felt like the Lord telling me, this is what you've been looking for. This is where you belong. And so what did I do? Clung. (laughs) I clung to the Lord in the Eucharist. And, you know, not too long after that, that was seventh grade, my 10th grade year of high school, I was an exchange student to Poland. And I've never been anywhere else, you know, that Eucharistic. I mean, I I didn't know it was right after the collapse of the Soviet Union in the 90s. And I thought, well, gosh, what is the church going to be like over there? Can I get to mass, you know? And they had mass like every 15 minutes of the whole day. (laughs) But even then, in my 10th grade high school class, I by far was the most outwardly Catholic student coming from America. 
And so they already, they, they were like, oh, you're from America. Are you listening to heavy metal? Do you like skateboarding? You know, do you do drugs? And I'm like, what, what? I, where's mask? Can we go to mass together? And they were like, oh, you know, this is Poland. <laughs> That's <you know>? great. <laughs> and, and so those like people my age in their early forties uh, in Poland are not very religious actually. And so it was the older generation fighting through communism. That's like right. They were, I was just going to say, I mean? they were battling the example. for their survival and they clung to God. We want God, right? That's what they said when John Paul showed up in 1979. We want God. Now they're saying, they're yawning. Uh, no, we don't. Do we need God? I mean, yeah, we might go to mass sometimes, but I don't know if we really need God. We're in the European Union now. It's like, oh, geez. You know? Well, in, in many ways, Dr. Jared Stout joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're going to, well, actually, no, I'm going to hold off because uh, I want to comment on that, because we're going to take a quick break. Remember to go out and buy the book from the publisher, Tan Books, How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization. Dr. Jared Stout is the author, and you're with us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Remember, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith in the New York City metropolitan area. Two things, download the app and make sure you share it with your friends. And if you like what Joe and I do, the Frontline TV on YouTube and at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Um, so stick around. We'll be right back. Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Facillo and Joe Resinello. We are way, way, way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network with Dr. Jared Stout, and we're discussing his new book, Out from Tan Books, How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization. Uh, Doc, let me ask you a question. Because you, you and Joe, you, you well here. Let me make a comment that I was going to make before the uh, before before the break, is you know history has a way of slapping people right in the face, um, and I'm sorry, I don't have any sympathy for those who don't see it coming. Okay, I would help anybody. I pray for everybody, and I can only say that as someone who does receive the Eucharist because I see history very clearly, thanks to Jesus Christ. Okay, um, people don't see it coming; they get too wrapped up. OK, I remember a great line from there was a there was a history of England. Uh, Simon Shama did it a few years ago. I remember the episode on Winston Churchill when he's showing um, uh, he's showing all the mods in England in the 1960s and their miniskirts and they're all dancing. And then the, the camera like cuts to this, you know, the funeral procession of Winston Churchill. And Shama has a great line. He says, history, big, bold comes right in your face because 20 years earlier, they were they almost didn't exist anymore. History has a way of slapping people in the face. Are people going to, and again, we're talking about the Eucharist here, okay? Uh, people are looking for remedies. They're just going further and further down the rabbit hole, all right? And history is going to come back, and I think, and Joe thinks, he's going to slap them right in the face and slap them right back into some sense. How is it that we can go about emphasizing the people that to get back to basics, particularly Catholics? Again, we got to evangelize everybody else. But to tell Catholics, don't let that happen. We need to be the ones that are going to create the new history, in my opinion, once this civilization falls, okay? But history is going to have its say. Do you agree, do you agree with that? I think so, and, it, and I think we are starting to experience it already. When you look at drug overdose, the rates of depression in our country, 
We were already talking about the decline in the family. I mean, what in the world is going on in our public school system right now? People are starting to wake up uh, because I think we are feeling that pain. And we're start. You can't deny it anymore. You know, like you said, Winston Churchill was out ahead of things. He said, "Hey, the Nazis are bad, and we're going to have war with them." And everyone's like, "Oh no, no, we'll get along with them." Hitler really wants peace, and you know, so you're right. People just try to go along as far as they can, and I think that we've been doing that in the United States for decades now. And it'll be okay. You know, it's fine. And no, it's not going to be fine. Even in the Catholic Church, it's not going to be fine. You know, when you look at the decline in mass attendance in Western society after COVID. It's serious, up to 30% in some places. I mean, we just don't even have as many people in the pews. And who's in the pews, you know, apart from, you know, the strong parishes that we mentioned before the break, right? It's a lot of older people. And so even in the Catholic Church, we're going to have a wake-up call here that we need to go on the offensive, right? We, we need to start sharing the message. we got to really get our house in order. We cannot save civilization if we're not living a Eucharistic life within the church. And so that is really where we need to begin. And how are we going to get through the hard times? We owe, I mean, everyone and every generation has some you know, hard events that they have to work through. I mean, that's human life, right? Whether it's going to be sickness or whether it's going to be something in society, there will be difficulties. We think that we're immune from that, but we're not. How are we going to get through that? If we're living a Eucharistic life and we're clinging to Jesus, we're depending upon him, that's how we're going to get through it. I have one comment I'm going to hand. And I, after Joe, I have a follow-up on that. But my quick comment is I used to think in my mind, when I when I go into a parish and I see just the the older people, okay, of of which you know I guess I'm I'm approaching that level <laughs> in the next couple of years, but I see the older people and rather in the past I used to get angry, and I used to be like, where's all the young people? Where are all the young people? Now, with Joe and I, uh, before I moved, we're in North Jersey. When I met my wife t back in uh, 2013, when we got married, I was living in Brooklyn. Same type of thing, okay. The churches are, have a lot of older people. Now I think in my mind. God bless those older people, because if society is going to start getting back on the right track, one of the reasons why is their prayers, because they are living the sacramental life. These are the people that are daily communicants, okay? They're retired. They're, that's all they do is pray the rosary. God bless them, and they pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament every single day. And I think that, to me, that, to me, is very, very hopeful. So thank God those old people are still are still moving it along. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. But in 20 years, I mean, a lot of them aren't going to be here. So who's going to be in there taking? It's going to be us. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be us. We're the, we're the next generation behind that. But yeah, we got to keep pulling people along. It's going to be us 8:30 in the morning. Say, hey, you guys want to pray the rosary? Come on, Joe Resinello. <laughs> As you guys were talking about that, I was thinking of Benedict XVI's like 1969 prophecy in his radio address, talking about how the church is going to get smaller, but it'll get stronger, and it will be a light to those who are living in darkness. Um, because their life will be darkness and they'll be searching for something. Ultimately, how I believe the Eucharist is going to save civilization, and it will, and I 100% agree with your premise, is through our example. You see, what we have to do is we have to show people that this works. Like, ultimately, that is the greatest explanation for the Catholic faith. And still some people will deny it. I mean, people think about it. They denied Christ. They saw him. Christ walked the earth, and many people rejected him full on, saw him, 
saw the miracles. I think about that when I pray the rosary, when they when he stands before Pilate. The same people who witnessed this guy doing some serious stuff. I mean, you know, head spinning stuff. We're like, crucify him. You're like, crucify him. What? What are you crazy? You know what I mean? So I mean, so who am I? My example to what Jesus did. He rose somebody from the dead. I mean, I you know that's that's quite a trick. But my point is, people have to see functioning lives, and then we have to be consistent too. See, that's what's going to make people think, connect the dots when they wake up in the middle of the night and they're staring at their ceiling at 2 a.m., reflecting on how miserable their life has become. And what makes Jared different? What makes Joe Pasillo different? He's no different than me. You see, that's what I believe the church has to be. Ultimately, you know, I think we get caught up in some of this like social media stuff, which I mean, I'm a part of it. I get it. But my Zoom call isn't changing the world. My life will. My life will. Where people look at my life and say, how do you have five kids? How do you do it? And my answer is, I don't do it. And I don't know how I do it. That is, God yeah, that gives is me, the right answer. See, that, talk, let's talk about that. Yeah. Because that's the light of the church. Yeah, I think God is not calling us to live a good natural life. And, and I think in that sense, there's a lack of imagination amongst Catholics because they think, what really is life about? And they just think, well, I'm just just doing well, you know, I'm, you know, I have a good job and whatever. But Jesus wants us to live a supernatural life. That is to do things that we can't even do, you know what I mean, that we're not even able to do. And of course, that starts with the theological virtues, faith, hope and love. But, you know, it, it happens in so many small ways as well. How did you respond patiently when that guy was a jerk to you? Well, I, actually, I can't. I, I have a terrible temper, but because God's grace is in me, you know, how were you able to really witness to that guy at work? You know, that, you know, maybe he's a jerk, too. I mean, everybody's a jerk, right? No. How are you able to really get through to that guy? Well, because Jesus is in me. You know, I, I'm in communion with Jesus. I'm doing all kinds of things that I'm not even able to do. Um, and so what is really the goal? I mean, St. Paul says it. It is now no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the goal of a Eucharistic life. And in the book, I talk a lot about culture. And that can sound like a really abstract word, but it just means your shared way of life. And so if I'm living a supernatural life of communion with Jesus and I'm doing it with other people, then that means our culture is supernatural. What's the difference between a Christian culture and a secular culture? Well, a secular culture just does the best that it can. And that's actually not very good a lot of the time. Uh, but a Christian culture is, you know, we're giving God a chance to live through us so that he can do things in our lives, that he can touch people through us, and that we're about something bigger than ourselves. Yeah, and, and and that's that's so important. Dr. Jared Stott, there's so many questions I want to ask you, believe me. And I know that unfortunately we have a, a time limit. So let's um 
Let's keep it moving. Let's let's talk about identity. I think that's a big, big problem. I mean, that, that's that's as plain as the nose on your face to use a cliche. Um, people, Catholic. Again, we're keeping it with Catholics, okay? And we're trying to emphasize it here at the front line with Joe and Joe. That's why we have that's why we have Doctor Stout on because we're talking about his new book, how the Eucharist can save civilization. We have to get back to our identity. Joe and I, let me say for full disclosure, considered ourselves. And probably due to, to, on a particular level, conservative Republicans. Just to say, politically, okay? That doesn't define us. That's not going to move me at the ballot box, okay? Um, even though I do have to look, unfortunately, at a limited pool of people that I can, we can actually vote for, okay? But our identity, first and foremost, is solid. I will say that. If the Eucharist, has in, in, in many ways, has changed my life, okay, one of the ways is I know how to identify myself now. A Roman Catholic, first, okay, a disciple of Christ, first, before anything else. Talk about the need to d- d- dispense with these false identities, important ones, okay, uh, or let me not say false, incomplete ways of identifying mm-hmm. ourselves, Republican, liberal, conservative, this is the free market, socialist. This is, these are all labels. And I think we need to obviously downplay those things, even though sometimes they may be important, but downplay them. And remember, our identity is that we are disciples of Christ. And we do, as Joe mentioned earlier, what, and what you've written about in your book, what he commanded us to do, eat his flesh. Talk about identity, Dr. Jared Stout. Yeah, I think our culture really pushes us to try to define our own identity. Um, you know, Justice Kennedy, right, even in uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, 1992, said, at, at the core of our freedom is our ability to define for ourselves the meaning of our existence. Um, and so that, I mean, I think he was on to something, not in terms of the truth, but in speaking into how we think about ourselves and our culture. And so when we go to Mass and, and we hear those key words that you mentioned earlier, this is my body. Jesus is telling us who he is. But when we receive him in the Eucharist, that is who we are as well. This is my body. That, you know, my life does not belong to me. It is not my own. I tell myself that all the time, right? You know, being a father of six, my life is not my own. Who am I? I am a a child of God. I was made in his image and likeness. I was adopted as his son in Jesus Christ. And now I am drawn into this mystical union with him in the Eucharist. This is my body. And so when he looks at me, when God the Father looks at me, he can say that, you know, like, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And it's not just me trying to prove myself to God, but I am mystically united with the son. I am a son in the son. Um, and, and that is a deeper identity than I could ever make for myself, because anything I try to impose upon myself will be flawed. I am not able to really create a lasting identity for myself. I will always be unsatisfied with anything that I create for myself and impose upon myself. Um, But the only true identity that will fulfill us is our God-given identity, made in his image and likeness, and adopted as his sons. 
I think that's one of the most important things to emphasize to people, Dr. Jared Stout. What, what came to my mind as you were speaking was like many people have a, a prodigal son moment. Um, you know, give me mine, give me mine, give me mine. I'm going to go out into the world. I don't want to listen to my father. I don't want to listen to the church. Um, and they unfortunately, and again, I'm I, I'm guilty of that. I'm not I'm not wagging my finger at anybody. I, I I'm an open book. Say all the time, I lived 20 years of my life not as a Roman Catholic. Okay, not as someone who's receiving Jesus in the Eucharist, and I'm not proud of it. I think a lot of people have to have that prodigal son moment. But what they got to remember is, when when you when you live a life life of dissipation, okay, when you come back, you're not coming back to something else, some new age nonsense, um, some 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 wacko theories about the meaning of life. Like you said, you have to come back to reality. Jesus is the logos. He is the ultimate reality. And he gives that to us in the Eucharist. Again, I know that, that that requires an ascent of our faith, okay? But at least start looking at it correctly, all right? And God will help you to understand that is Jesus's body. That is what's going to bring you back to ultimate reality, to logo and living your life. Again, Joe mentioned earlier about how do people, how do we evangelize people, okay? Yes, we're going to speak. We're going to open our mouth. We're going to pound the table on the truth. But if they're not seeing us living our lives that way, Okay, it's going to fall on deaf ears. It, 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 it really is. And that's why I think it's important. It's like the one two punch. We say it, but then we have to live it. But at the center, as the church says in Vatican II, the center, the, the source summit and center of the church's life is that Eucharist. Joe Resinello. I think one of the more prophetic voices in our lifetime in the church was Archbishop Chaput, Charles Chaput, um, for me. I'll speak for me. He wrote a book, uh, Strangers in a Strange Land talking about Catholics. We're in a strange land. I say this all the time. I don't recognize what I see in many respects. Um, and I would probably bet you guys have a similar feeling. What I, Where I'm getting at is, but we have to be people for others. Catholics are the leaven. We're the salt in the world, the light in the world. Um, and I want to harken back to something you said about yourself, uh, Doc. You got into trouble. And somebody took a chance on you. He said, come to mass. You know, it's so easy to dismiss that kid. Forget Jared. I'm not inviting him to mass. That man changed your life. He took a chance. You see, we have to do that as Catholics in the world. We have to expose ourselves as Christ did he exposed himself. He made himself vulnerable. We have to do that at the risk of being a fool, at the risk of being put down, at the risk of being ridiculed. Why? Because we love people. Talk about that because I say this because we're not in a bubble. Like we are people for others, Catholics. We must be in the world. Christ didn't hide. He came into the world, into the mess. He didn't have to come into the mess. Most people don't like to go into the mess. I've been in the mess all my life. So I know what the mess is. So talk about that because that's important. I When you said that about that guy, I said that that guy saved this dude's life. He saved this dude's life straight up. And it's so easy to disregard that kid. And sometimes people surprise you. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, and don't we have like a deficit mentality? Like, oh, they're probably not interested or I don't want to bother them or, you know, 
we just kind of leave each other where we're at. You know, I have my opinions. They have their opinions. I don't want to argue with anybody. So I'm not even going to talk to them about the things that really matter the most. And, you know, when we're at mass, this is go, the mass has ended, right? In Latin, that's ite misa est, go. And we don't even know how to translate the rest. It's like, go, these things are sent, you know, basically something like that. And people think that that might be like the, the Eucharist is taken to the sick or something like that. But but Misa is where we, you know, we see the same word as mission. We are also the gift to ascend out. How will we truly be that leaven in our society? It's if we actually think that we have a great gift, a divine gift that we are given, and that this gift really is the solution, not only to the difficulties in my life, but also in my neighbor's life and my coworker's life and my cousin's life. And if they would come and see this gift, that it would be what they really need to get things straightened out in their lives, to experience healing, to really have meaning and purpose. Do we, do we think that? Or do we think, oh, I don't want to impose what, what I believe on somebody else? I mean, this is really the antidote. This is the treasure. I mean, th this is the end all be all. I mean, it really is, you know, right here uh, in this Eucharistic gift. Do we act like that? Or is it like, yeah, 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 the, the source and some of the Christian life. Okay, the catechism says that. All right, next. But no, 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 but this is really it. And even, you know, Father Mahoney back in the day, you know, he's the one who invited me to Mass. God rest his soul. Pray for him every day. But there was a student in, in my seventh grade class and then into eighth grade. He saw the, the change that I went through. And so he came to me and he said, can you help me to learn what you are doing? What do you mean by that? Well, like going to daily mass and serving and learning about the faith, he said, because because I want to do that too. Now he is a religion and Latin teacher at our at our high school. He's still my best friend, you know. But it was because he saw the, the change that happened in me, and he wanted, even though he was at the Catholic school his whole life, he wanted that too. So I mean, that's the idea, right? That I have this great gift, and what I've received as a gift, I'm going to give to others as a gift. Yeah, one of the things, Dr. Jared Stout, that I think about sometimes is like when, when people think that things like this are unrealistic, like we were talking about history. Um, I love your comments on this uh, because one of the things Joe and I like to do, we like, like to dispel a lot of the nonsense out there. There was a lot of stuff after World War II. People had material prosperity. They were blue-collar people, but they went out and they earned more than they did before, okay? Um, and, and they provided for their families, and they had cars, and they had what they called the ice box, you know, um, they had a TV, um, life was getting better materially, but in the 19, late 1940s and the 1950s, and for a good part of the 1960s, people looked at there. Were, I argue, and this is based on a lot of my reading. There was a Catholic ascendancy in America, people with America where people looked and they saw that you, you could distinguish a Catholic between anybody else. We grew up in Newark, New Jersey. There wasn't a family with less than three or four kids. Many of them had six or seven kids, large families. Whether we realized it or not, the church was at the center, okay? The church was packed, okay? It was a close-knit area, Newark, New Jersey, and, the, and around in the immediate surroundings where Joe was, um, like around. It's all the same. It's all blue-collar Roman Catholic, predominantly Italian-American, okay? Um, we had both. We had a strong community. We had material prosperity. Again, it wasn't riches, but it was prosperity nonetheless, okay, because nobody was really really suffering. Um, and it was all torpedoed by 
the sexual revolution in the 1960s. Okay? And one of the reasons why Joe are in existence, Joe and I are in existence, is to fight against that. Okay? And talk about how, again, people call it a culture war. We define it as a spiritual battle. I think is more the, the appropriate way of describing it. One of the main ways we have, one of the main fronts to fight on is to combat the sexual revolution of the 1960s and all its disgusting attendant features. Am I off in that or am I right? It's absolutely core. I, I do agree. And I would say that there's a, a missing element here that you uh, pointed out, you know, that was happening back in the 1950s and surrounding time is that, okay, you have the church and the mass, and then you have your own life and, and your family, if applicable, right? What, what's missing in between? An actual community of Catholics around the parish. And so, you know, today there are, you know, really devout Catholics who want to start having large families again. But unlike then, a lot of them can feel isolated. Yeah. You know, there, there may not be a strong Catholic school, you know, nearby. Um, if there is a Catholic school, you know, it, it may not even be really strongly Catholic. Um, and everybody just feels isolated in suburbia. They don't have that tight-knit community around the parish. So I think one of the key things to living a Eucharistic life is actually making the parish a center of culture, not just belief and worship, but of a, of a shared life together. I think we need that. We need support for families. You know, you think that, uh, that there are men's retreats, retreats for women, for, for children, but not for families. You go to adoration, you can't bring your family in there because they're all, you know, to all the kids. And so it's like, we need to start building, I think, a stronger community of families around the parish. I'm going to throw it over to Joe for one final question, Dr. Jared Stout. But one thing I would emphasize is this. Obviously, back in the day, they used to say, well, I want to go to school. I want to go to Seton Hall University or this or that because I want to get out of Newark. And, and I probably have said the same thing in my life, okay? And now I regret that. I wish we could go back to that. But I do want to throw this out there to you. This thing we call the internet that is so abused in so many ways, this could – this could bring us a lot closer, and I think has brought us a lot closer as Catholics. Joe and I, because of this, know what's going on in Steubenville, which is a community, a Roman Catholic community that's around the university. We know what's going on in the Carolinas because we've had now we had you and Dr. Longenecker, uh, Father Longenecker, right? If we could use this to at least bring us closer so that we don't feel, at least in our hearts and in our minds, that isolation that you just described. Maybe I can't walk out and walk down to the local parish where all my friends are, okay? Maybe I can't do that anymore, all right? Um, I have to get in the car to go and do that now. Um, but we could use this technology, and I think we are using te this technology and can really ramp it up to, at the very least, for Catholics in America to remember, no, 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 there's a lot of us. There is a lot of us out there. We're, we're, we're all talking to each other. We're all communicating with each other. God willing, we start to live closer to one another, and we could have at least some semblance of that. Uh, that was my comment on that, Dr. Jared Stout. One more final question we have time for, for from uh, Joe Resinello. Joe, we got to make it quick. Real quick, um, how the Eucharist can save society. Agree, 100%. Um, it starts with receiving the Eucharist in the state of grace. I believe it starts there, the one-two punch. We talked about it on the other side of the break, confession, Eucharist. There are people in the church, voices, um, that say we receive the Eucharist on our own terms as we kind of figure things out. Um, I firmly disagree with that approach. 
I think we have to get back to basics. Rosary, Eucharist, confession. Then the church begins to thrive. Then the church will save civilization. Your comments on that idea, which is pervasive in the American church. Got about two minutes, Dr. Stout. Yeah, it, it's destructive. I mean, and so first you have to begin with faith. You know, do you really believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Um, have you given your life to him? Because that's what communion is. So you have to believe in Jesus and to give your life to him so that you can then experience that intimacy with him in the Eucharist. Because Paul says, otherwise you eat to your own condemnation in 1 Corinthians. So it is there. Um, and unfortunately, that has been left out of the Sunday Mass readings in our new lectionary. So Catholics aren't even going to hear that warning from Paul about eating to your own condemnation if you are not discerning the body. So we really do need to receive the Eucharist worthily and well so that the graces of the Eucharist can transform us because otherwise we are putting up obstacles to that grace. Dr. Jared South, this has been a great conversation. I want to make one final comment about what you just said. In my life, in my journey, uh, a good man who I ran into uh, when I was coming back to practicing the faith, I thought, oh, I'm going to join this group or that group. And a good, good man sent me to an old Irish priest on the Upper West Side to go give my adult confession, the prodigal son returning. And this priest gave me the best. It was kind of it was something I knew, but he gave me it in a way that was very powerful. After I got done with this hour long confession, right, and giving Jesus my sins, he said to me, he goes, listen, you don't need any clubs, you don't need any groups, go to Mass every Sunday, eat his flesh, and drink his blood, that's what you have to do, and then everything else will go from there, the best advice I ever heard, because he slapped me right in my face with it, not wishy-washy, not saying maybe, you went, no, 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 eat his flesh, drink his blood, you'll stay on the right path, it was the best advice I ever had. Dr. Jared Stout, thank Man. you for joining us here at the Frontline with Joe and Joe. We want, uh, want to emphasize to everyone out there to go out and buy Dr.'s book, uh, How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization. That is out from Tan Books. All right, Doc, we're going to have to say it. Where else can people buy it if they have to? <laughs> Any of the normal channels that you would use for buying books. But yeah, go to Tan, but otherwise it is the, the places you would suspect. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't go to that place that begins with an A. Go to Tan Books. <laughs> but if you have to, you can get it with the, from the place that begins with an A. Um, and uh, uh, Dr. Stout, thanks again. You're welcome back on the front line with Joe and Joe anytime, brother. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you out there for joining us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app so that you have access to all of our station's content. And please follow Joe and I wherever you see us on, uh, on social media. Like, subscribe, and share, particularly at The Frontline TV on YouTube and at With Joe and Joe, at With Joe and Joe on Twitter. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.